Islam, Islam family, this is your brother Wayne Brian Eel with another episode of the Sufic tradition within Moorish science. Um, today, we are going to be talking about the science of nationality. Now, I understand this is kind of one of those duh things like, brother, we already know what a nation is or, you know, whatever you want to say. And I, 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 I understand that. But I would say I was watching the Brother Ben X episode and he was talking to the Moors. You know, he was basically talking to one, I guess, who had been calling him a sellout and, you know, trolling him on social media. And he was like, oh, well, brother, uh, do you know what nationality is? And the brother couldn't answer. And, you know, it did kind of make me think is that, you know, in the more science temple, I never really was taking the time and taught what nationality truly was. Now, I understand it's really one of those things that you shouldn't necessarily, I mean, you shouldn't have to be taught. You know, it's an English word. You know, you can look it up in any dictionary. But the science of nationality is really so important because there's many different perspectives of what nation is. I think the problem that we within the conscious community have is that we've sort of become to see government and people separate. Now, it definitely says in our Quran, the Circle 7, that we are the government. And most people would say, wait a second, Brian Neal, because I believe that Law 6 states that with us, all members must proclaim their nationality. And we are teaching our people their nationality and their divine creed that they may know they are a part of this said. They are, they may, they, they, excuse me, that they may know that they are partial and part of this said government. I need to brush up on my laws. <laughs> So they're saying that we are part and parcel. And this is what most people would make the argument, of course. Oh, well, this means that, you know, we're part and parcel of this said government, which the said government, of course, they're referring to the U.S. corporation. Now, if you watch my Facebook lives and eventually one day I want to be able to post this on Facebook, I don't know if I'll ever get out of Facebook jail, but. If you watch my lives, I did go in a little bit deeper on my understanding of why the U.S. is not a literal government, that it within itself is just a body, a shell corporation, a front for other corporations. Now, this is an understanding. In fact, there's a documentary called Dark Money. I would advise you look it up. And it really shows you how the U.S. government, as we know it, is a bought and paid for private corporation that provides a service. The federal government from the legislator, from the legislative branch to the executive branch is regularly bought and paid for not only the campaign dollars, but through once again, other smaller shell corporations. I mean, it's a really big, intricate web of deception, but it's an intricate web all the same. And I think we have to understand it. Like, we have to be able to see that. So if you understand that what we understand as being the government, we must understand that we are the government. Huey P. Newton 
once was asked by his brothers, they're all like, well, instead of creating a Black Panther Party, why don't we create an entire nation? And what Huey P. Newton's response was, he's all like, well, that's not the problem we need to address because nations aren't suppressed. Populations are. And there is a truth to that. There is a truth to that. Um, but it's really explained in the Circle 7. The once again divinely prepared by the noble Drew Ali. And once again, I go to one of my favorite chapters. And, and I guess if, if anyone's listening to this podcast... Um, yeah, actually, if you, 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 you read the chapter and it's talking about the human equality, Prophet Yeshua was addressing this same problem when he was saying the evil of an action lies within its desire because he was rebuking the Brahmin class who were saying, well, hold up, you've been invited to this feast by the great Prince Ravna. You know, you can't be sitting with the, 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 the thieves and the courtesans and the murderers. And he's all like, wait a second. He's all like, you're speaking beyond yourself. Now, I'm paraphrasing the, the, the chapter. And I can read it literally, but I, I really want to explain this point and get it across. Basically, what he was saying was, is he was saying that the Brahmins themselves... We're just as bad as the thieves. He's all like, you have the same desires as these people. And, you know, this is also referred to the parable within the broken blades. And he's all like, well, he's all like, only collect the wheat without broken blades. And he was all like, well, where's my wheat? And he was all like, well, they all had broken blades, right? So he's basically, what he's saying is that man is not, there's no man without sin. And we have to understand the gravity of what he's saying. He's saying, you know, there's always an imperfection or, or, or what you can say, a negative. Because man is truth and falsehood strangely mixed. This all goes into the science of nationality. It's very important. Because when you think about what Huey P. Newton, and, and, and to a certain degree, I agree with Huey P. Newton in, in, in multiple ways. But I do also understand the science of shell corporations. Because the thing about it is, most of these people aren't being represented by their brothers. They're not being represented by their working class intellectuals. They're not being represented by people from among them. They're being represented by... Sometimes it can be from among them. But... When you're when you're entered into a shell corporation, you become separated from the people. You become, oh, you're different from them. You're greater than them. And I mean, we're about to go into the science of this. But, oh, this group of people is better, or these are their elites, or this is that, or, you know what I'm saying? There's always a reason why you become superior to the people around you. And this is really what separates you. This is what, this is the true science of the show. When you look at the history of the Brahmin class, they were thought to be the lips of the cosmic man. They were thought to be the speakers of Lai himself. The many gods of the Hindu pantheon. When you look at the Brahmin class, 
they had become a shell corporation ruled by the Romans. Very similar to the Pharisees. Now, a lot of people, I'm not saying a lot of people don't know this, but historically, you know, India was not this unknown area. The same way the Romans had colonized the Middle East, or quote-unquote colonized the Middle East, they had also colonized India. They conducted trade there the same way they conducted trade in Egypt, and the same way they conducted trade within the Middle East. All these areas were connected. We don't necessarily see that. We don't necessarily see that the three major religions are really truly connected. And when I say three major, I would say Islam, Buddhism, and Judaism. We don't necessarily see how they're connected, even though geographically they're right around the same area. And they're very, very, you know what I'm saying? They're very, very connected throughout trade. You know, it's only recently that my studies have shown that, you know, history has very well documents of Rome trading in India. I, I mean, and it was well known. You know, it was well known. A lot of the myth that we have from the Middle East being separated from India by whatever reason really comes from Adam Smith. And Adam Smith says the greatest innovations to capitalism was the discovery of America and the discovery of direct trade routes to India. Basically saying that Europe no longer had to circumvent the entire Silk Road. This was a misnomer because the Romans had already had direct trades and so did the Greeks. We, we, we know that because Alexander the Greek marched on, on, on the Indian Pur, the, the fortified cities of, of northern India. So uh, this is something that's known. It's not, it, historically, this is one of those anomalies. But within the Abrahamic traditions, we really separate, oh, well, Jesus never knew about Hinduism and, and Muslims never knew about Hinduism. But that's not true. The faiths are very intricately connected. And similar to where what we were reading in the last um, the last podcast, and we were saying that really the only true separation comes from selfish contumacy. This is really what we're seeing with the Abrahamic traditions in Hinduism, because they're all based off the same science. You know, even the Nataro religion is based, it's all the same science, but teachers and, and, and preachers and, and priests and sheikhs seeking their own sovereignty and seeking supreme domination don't want to be able to put in context of each other's science. So they're trying to make it something completely alien. And you may be like, all right, Brian Neal, but when are you going to start talking about the science of nationality? Well, we're really already, we're talking about it. Um, I wanted to read this uh, from the Quran. Um, and I believe this is actually the same ayat we was reading in the last one. Now this is Surah 2, uh, the cow, Baqarah. Um, and ayat 213, it says, Mankind was one single nation, 
and Allah sent messengers with glad tidings, and with them he sent the book in truth to judge between the peoples in matters within wherein they differed. But the people of the book, all after the clear signs came to them, did not differ among themselves except through selfish contumacy. Yeah. Allah, by his grace, guided the believers to the truth concerning that wherein they differed, for Allah guides whom he will to a path that is straight. Now understand when we talk about what he says the book, most people will say, oh, well, he's talking about the Quran or he's speaking on the Bible. The book is Allah Khatib. And Khatib is typically translated into book. I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with that. It is typically translated in the book, and there's many reasons to believe that it's translated in the book, but it also can be interpreted as revelation. Um and if you take that interpretation, and I personally do, uh, because when you look at Khatib in this ayat, in the context of this ayat, it definitely can be referring to book. I mean, but, you know, they say the Khatib. And I think that's the problem. Because this is truly a universal principle. Because he's speaking about the very beginning of mankind. He's not talking about the Bible. And you must understand, when it says Khatib, you can't refer it to the canonized Bible that we have in modern times. Like, that's really one of the main issues, I think, when we try to draw conclusions of what we're, what we're talking about. Because, I mean, when we're talking about the Quran, because this is what many Jews and Christians will do. Like, you know, when they see the words, and Khatib means book in Arabic, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. But when you even look at the people of the book, or Alab Khatib, many people will say, well, they're speaking specifically about Jews and Christians, and no, they're not. If you go into the deeper history of it, and this is one thing why I love our Circle 7, because Alab Khatib doesn't necessarily simply refer to Jews and Christians. It can also refer to Hindus. Because the book can also be seen as the Verdas. It also can refer to the earlier Egyptians. Because the book can receive as the Pet Emoru. The Pet Emoru. Haru. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm probably butchering these words. But the Pet Emoru are the book of the dead. You know, and, and there's and there's multiple books. You know, the, the books of wisdom by Aminotep. Like, this is what he's talking about. He's speaking in terms of universal principles, but we kind of see it as he's only talking about Jews and Christians. And often Jews and Christians will take it as almost like personal, you know, like personal attacks. I remember I was watching one episode of, uh, I don't know, some YouTuber. He's an idiot. And, you know, I, I know we're not supposed to be radically, but I don't even know if this dude is a Christian. He's a moron, though. And, you know, he was talking about um, a surah and an ayat in the Quran that says, basically, they have begun to write the book with their own hand. And he's sitting here and he's arguing Christianity versus Islam and he's arguing Judaism versus Islam. 
And to me, um, that, that really makes you so ignorant. That makes you so ignorant. Like, because if you look in the Quran, you can see references to the Verdas. You can see references to Babylonian texts. There's even a rumor going around the internet, uh, a complete fiction, that the Quran is actually a plagiarism from an earlier Persian writer. And it's, and there's no real clear-cut concrete evidence or argument against it. You can do your own research, but there's no concrete evidence or argument against it. It's completely idiotic, a farce. I mean, it's a ridiculous claim, and there's no there's no backup to it at all. It's <laughs> it's moronic, like honestly, but. There's basically this claim, and you know, it's even it, it has some references from an earlier Persian writer, and some of them are very similar to what you see in the Quran. The dude says word for word, but he never actually shows any example of word for word translations from Persian to Arabic. So it's a joke to me, but I wouldn't say there's necessarily some references to there, and I'm not saying that that's not the case. Because when we look at Al Al Qadid, most people think that the book that they're talking about is the Bible. And most people think that the Bible as being referred to within the canonized version that we have today, which is ridiculous because the King James wasn't canonized until 1611. So, I mean, it's, it, it's honestly, I think, you know, there's so many comparisons between what we know of as the Bible and what the Quran refers to as the Bible, which is re really ridiculous because the Quran actually refers to the Torah or the Torah or the Tanka. You know what I'm saying? And it also refers to the Injil, which is the Gospels. The Gospels preached by Prophet Yeshua, Prophet Issa. Peace and blessings be upon him. And it talks about the Zubar, which was basically the, the, the Proverbs and the Psalms. You know, so it, it speaks of these books. Like, in, it describes them in detail. And it describes the... You could say the authors, I would say the metaphorical people that they're surrounded around. I mean, they're surrounded. I mean, the that the doctrine is basically created from. But it even talks about the authors within the Quran. So it's, I'm not really sure why people necessarily say this. And, and, and some people will say, well, because he only references the Injil, the Torah and the Zabar, he is talking about the canonized version of the Bible. He doesn't reference the Verdas. He doesn't reference these these texts. I wouldn't say it was because he didn't know about them. I honestly believe that Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu most likely did understand these texts and was probably well studied in these literatures. Now, he himself couldn't read them, but I do believe that his he had many different teachers. And when you think about how the angel Jibril who is ultimately a Canaanite deity. That's what he is. You know, Jabril or Gabriel. You know, he was part of the Elohim. The Elohim. You know what I'm saying? That were, that were of course, the Canaanite deities. You know, I, and, and when you look at what a Canaanite, a Hittite, and Amorite basically are. 
these were probably the different nations within what is collectively known as the Dravidians, which we know to be the true proto, the proto-Indo-European. This is, that's, that, that's the reality of it. They'll call it the, oh, the proto-Indo-European. It's a fancy way of saying the Dravidian. That's what they were. The Dravidians were the birth of, of all these ancient cultures. And truly, these were the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites speaking of, spoken of in the Bible, the Moabites. When you understand the science of nationality, you're talking about the science of recognition. And I think the fact that we recognize our neighbors faster than we'll recognize the universal principle in which we're all governed by. Because truly, law does govern all of it. We lose reality within the frame that we see it through. We basically lose the concept, the principle, within the ideal that we have. I do want to talk about nationality. And like I said, I'm not trying to deviate. So I want to go to the next ayat uh, I was going to. Um, excuse me. Uh, and this is, 40, this is 49 and 13. It says, Old mankind, you were created from a single pair of male and a female. And made you into nations and tribes that ye may be known that you may know each other, not that ye may despise each other. Verily, the most honored of you in the sight of Allah, he who is the most righteous of you, and Allah has full knowledge, and he acquainted with all things. When you read this, once again, within the perspective of it being a universal principle, not a literal sense, not uh, trying not to take it too literally. But when you think about this within a universal principle, what Allah is saying, what the Prophet Muhammad is expressing in the most beautiful way, he's saying, oh, mankind, you were created from a single pair. This means that nations are birthed of the individual. But ultimately, they are a collective conscious. This is the science of recognition. When you look at a person and you think about, oh, this person has a name. That name was not given to them by the person themselves, you know, that name was given to them by somebody else, usually a mother or father or guardian, or even when they grew up in a tribe and they earned a specific name. Like when you think that, you know, you become, you become a hodge when you perform your hodge, like your hodge becomes a part of your name, you know, uh, you think about like when you think about the Native American, they would be they would earn a tribal name, like they would earn a name, you know. 
you understand that nomenclature is really the science of what you're recognized by. And even though you do have some self-definition, the name that you're recognized by really is taken by how much integrity that you have. And this is why it speaks in the Quran about the most righteous among you, verily the most honored of you in the sight of Allah is the most righteous among you. When you think about nomenclature and you take on a spiritual name, you think about your shahada. When you take your shahada, you are given an Islamic name, similar the way in Christianity, you know, you can be given a Christian name if you're baptized. This is showing that the individual now is being recognized within their spiritual sense. This is the second death. This is the first death, what you would say. This is really what Jesus went through. This is this is the metaphor, because in many ways, there's some evidence that Jesus wasn't actually crucified. But what she's talking about is the crucifixion of the flesh. You're talking about ending your carnal life and beginning your spiritual life. And this is a very intricate understanding within the science of nationality. When you proclaim your nationality in the Moorish Science Temple, you're given an ill arbe. And this is your spiritual name. We didn't change it like you do in the Orthodox, you know, completely. We didn't change it because we realized that this had become a method of destroying people's tribal integrity. Um, within the Orthodoxy, you're sort of required to speak Arabic. Within our nation, you're not necessarily required. You're not required to speak any particular language. You take on an ill or a bay, basically, to show that you've become a part of the movement of uplifting fallen humanity. And this is the science of nationality, because saying truly the most honored of you. It's the most righteous. So you must understand when you change your name and you end your carnal life, you sacrifice your lower self. And it also speaks of this in chapter three of our circle seven. It talks about um, the light of David overcoming the Goliath of dark. This speaks specifically of you ending the life of your lower self submitting it up to Allah, the Allah within, bowing to the east, coming into Allah within your heart and beginning your spiritual life. If you want to say this in most secular terms, this is basically you coming into a new knowledge and becoming responsible for your actions. And in this way, you become an integral part of uplifting fallen humanity. And this is the true guidelines of any nation. I want to read this quote by Confucius. 
To put the world in order, we must first put the nation in order. And to put the nation in order, we must first put the family in order. And to put the family in order, we must cultivate our personal lives. We must first set our hearts right. When you understand this, this is really the science of what the Quran is saying. What Prophet Muhammad was trying to peace and blessings be upon him what prophet Muhammad was saying was that we made you from a pair that originally you were one man who acted righteous and this righteousness gave birth to a family and that family gave birth to a tribe and that tribe gave birth and these are the cycles of nationality because truly we measure time in the great cycle ages now if we understand the secular definition of nation right so the second definition of nation is a large body of people united by a common decent history culture or language and happening a particular country or territory Okay, that's the secular idea of nation. Decent, history, culture, or language, all inhabiting a specific territory. But we understand that not all the times do people share all those things if they go by a specific territory. You know, when you look at Africa, this is one of the reasons that they have such a hard time creating nations in Africa. And even over here in South America. Because a lot of the people who encompass the same territory didn't share the same culture. They didn't share the same history. They didn't share the same decent. And they didn't share the same language. That's simply the truth of the matter. They didn't share that, even though they were all inhabiting the same territory. This is the same problem in the Middle East. And one of the main problems is that they have difficulty maintaining their nations over there. See, it's this European definition of nation is really the problem. See, what we have to understand is that nation is built off of principles. Now, I'm saying to a certain degree, nations do have to share a language. At least one. So they can interact with each other on a regular basis. So they can understand each other on both the, the, the common level of the common man's understanding and the level of the higher man's understanding okay i can take that but they don't have to share the same decent we can have very diverse decents and still be a part of the same nation we can have very diverse cultures and still be a part of the same nations we can have very diverse languages and still be a part of the same name uh, same nation this is why the more science temple doesn't really require you like the, it does in the orthodox religion to change your entire name because it doesn't want you to give up all of your tribal integrity. I mean, integrity, all of your tribal integrity to join our nation, to proclaim our nation. You're a Moorish American, not because of literal bloodline, but because you are of the original people and you have an original state of mind. You've grafted yourself back to the human family after being separated by colonialization and the destruction of people who willingly see themselves as superior to the rest of the human race. When we come together under those ideas, we realize that our diversity is not our enemy. It's our strength. In Sufism, there's a story. 
And this is the story of the many blind people who had an elephant. Like an elephant came to a tribe of blind people. And each one touched the elephant. And they had a different concept of what the elephant was. Some people felt the leg and they're all like, oh, this is a leg. And some people felt the tusk and they're like, oh, this is, a, this is what an elephant is. And they said that the elephant was like a spear and he was like a coliseum. Like he, was like a, he was like a pillar. You know what I'm saying? Some say he was like a sheet. Each one feeling and touching the elephant, but none of them could understand the full body of it because they were blind. Rumi actually was the one who, who, who retold this story. And he says, faith is not the companion of the blind. And that this, there is no place in this science for ordinary intellect. We have to be able to transverse our own principles to become, I mean, our own perspectives to become a true nation. And this is why the American nation and American de democracy doesn't function on its fundamental level. Because we look to make ourselves all the same so we can have the same perspectives, so we can do everything the same and we'll make all the same decisions. This is backwards. What we need to do is we need to rise ourselves to our highest capabilities. And when we rise to this highest level, we'll find that we'll make not the same decisions, but the best decisions. And that is what's important. So, if you want to understand nationality, nationality is slightly different. And I'm going to let her explain this. Nationality is the legal relationship between the person and a state. Nationality affords the state jurisdiction over the person and affords the person the protection of the state. What these rights and duties are vary from state to state. By custom and international conventions, it is the right of each state to determine who its nationals are. Such determinations are part of nationality law. In some cases, Determinations of nationality are also governed by public international law, for example, by treaties on statelessness and the European Convention on Nationality. Nationality differs technically and legally from citizenship, which is a different legal relationship between a person and a country. The noun national can include both citizens and non-citizens. The most common distinguishing feature of citizenship is that citizens have the right to participate in the political life of the state, such as by voting or standing for election. However, in most modern countries all nationals are citizens of the state, and full citizens are always nationals of the state. In English and some other languages, the word nationality is sometimes used to refer to an ethnic group, a group of people who share a common ethnic identity language, culture, descent, history, and so forth. Okay, so, and I think that's really important because I do kind of want to talk about, like, the difference between nationality and citizenship. Um, I really love Audiopedia, audio uh, my bad, Audiopedia. Yeah, it's Audiopedia. It's, it's really good. It's got a, a lot of subscribers, but yeah, it's, it's great. I love it. It's, it's a beautiful uh, YouTube channel. I would I'd definitely have you check it out. 
Um, but yeah, when you think about the difference between nationality and, and citizens and who is a national and who is not a citizen, this once again refers to the science of the Quran, uh, basically saying that when you look at how nations and tribes are born, um, you have at the beginning of it, you know, the individual life. And the individual life depends on the family life and how the family interacts describes how the tribe interacts and how the tribe interacts describes how the entire nation interacts. And when you think about this science and basically creating a, a, a uniform code, and I think this is really where we're having the most problems because it's not saying that in the Quran. It's not saying that you're supposed to be uniform. This is why it says we have made you of many different tribes and nations that you may know each other. It's not it's not saying that we have made you of a single tribe. You know, if you actually look, not only does it demonize ultra uniformity within the Quran, it demonizes it also within the Bible. If you look at the story, the known story of Babylon and Nimrod, who's basically trying to get all the people and they have all the same language, they've learned to speak all the same language. You know, I know it's one of those really arbitrary parts of the Bible that nobody really understands. And most people will say, oh, well, this is because of their pride. Their pride had, had convinced them to think they were God. So God punished them by changing their language. That's not what the story is trying to represent. It's talking about standardized language. And this is what most people don't necessarily understand. When you use the thing, term phonics within the English language, it's, re it's referring back to the Phoenicians, or what the Bible refers to as the Philistines. People don't necessarily draw this connection. The Philistines were so capable of conquering people because they had created a trade language. Now, the Philistines were sea people, and they had a very lucrative trade. They had a very lucrative trade. And if you once again, go to my Facebook videos. I explain basically the science of vice. But these were vices. And people would uniform their commercial codes, their UCCs. They would uniform their commercial codes, their codes of trade, specifically to the Philistines. And this is how the Philistines were really conquering people. You know what I'm saying? What happened was, is that phonics is based off of... of Basically, phonics is based off of of what you would call pictograms. But the pictogram isn't actually the picture. It's the sound. So when you have a phonics, it's a picture that makes a certain sound. And then when you put those sounds together, it makes a word that's completely deviated from the picture. This is contradictory to human psychology. And it's actually a method of encryption. See, the thing about it is, is... Is that what we're supposed to do, typically, is we're supposed to see a picture. And that picture creates a concept. And that concept is really the written language that we're supposed to have. If you look at the hieroglyphs, when you're talking about the Egyptian hieroglyphs, they're pictures. But these pictures are concepts. And they're put together, and this makes new concepts in our minds. These are called ideograms. And they speak to our subconscious. 
What phonics does is it subverts the subconscious and keeps us in a lower realm. You know what I'm saying? See, we're no longer thinking about the picture at all. You're not, you're not, you're not fathoming what the artist is truly trying to say. What you're doing is you're taking what the word looks like and what it looks like, you're making a sound. And this is what creates the word. This fundamentally changes our psychology. And this is the way the Greeks, using the Phoenician alphabet, because that's actually what it is, it's a Phoenician alphabet, overthrew their own priestly class. And this is what made Greece the trade slave state that it always has been and ultimately still is today. This method that the Greeks used, the Middle Easterners used to overthrow their priestly class. And this is where you have the events that happened within Isaiah and the events that happened later on that are chronicled in the Gospels of Jesus and that were continuing to spread deeper and deeper into the Middle East during the times of Prophet Muhammad it happened over here in North America when they introduced a written language that would so-called civilize the Cherokee people. The same thing happened. And this dude, and he, and he created an embryonic script that would basically do it to the Cherokee people. You know what I'm saying? The Aswanazi. And, and this was a way. If you look at the Russians, this too happened. You have to understand that when you talk about the psychology, it's ultimately how people are truly colonized. And this is why Nobuju Ali, in order to create a new nation, had to address the psychology of the people. This is it. This is the science of nationality. See, the issue is, is that we're looking to make everyone the same. And that's the problem. We're looking for unification within uniformity. And the two things actually contradict each other. Because unification cannot happen simply because everything is the same. That's not, that's not unity. You know what I'm saying? That's uniformity. It's completely different. Unity only comes when we respect each other's differences. And we can only respect each other's differences when we can see that we all come from the same source. And this is a love. This is why nationality is a central point of Moorish doctrine. Because Nobuju Ali didn't come over here to make us all al-Islam. He didn't come over here to make us all uniformly Muslims. He came up here to seek the most righteous from amongst us. To raise our thinking. To change our consciousness. That we would no longer be slaves to the colonizers. Who which invaded his people. Not only here. The ancient Moabites in, 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 in both Western and Eastern Amexum. We must overcome the philosophy of the colonizers before we can overcome their armies. Because ultimately, if we were able to free ourselves today, we would only become the very same monsters that destroyed us in the first place. The science of nationality is completely centered around principle. It has nothing to do with the common language. It has nothing to do with the common descent. Because truly, the Moabites are the original family. They are the original human line, and therefore the most diverse. It is us respecting each other's differences that creates us into one nation, that unifies us into one people. 
we have to do it first and then we will correct our brothers in the east we are one nation one people and understanding this within the science of nationality is of the ultimate importance this is displayed I would say metaphorically the most when you talk about Amnel and Amnel um, um excuse me I have to <laughs> I have to find it um when you talk about Amnel this surah is uh, translated. This is surah 27. Um, and it's translated into the ant in English. It chronicles uh, Solomon converting uh, the queen of Ethiopia, Bathsheba, to Islam. It has a lot of mystic symbolism in it. Solomon himself is a very controversial symbol because when you look at uh, the Song of Solomon in the Bible, uh, chapters 5 and 1, he calls himself black. And he says he's black because the sun has kissed him. This speaks specifically about him being melanated. Now, I understand we uh, basically brothers would say, oh, well, hold up, because black means death and all this other type of stuff. He can also be referred to as dark. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be that he's saying the same thing as I'm a black person. He, he, it also can be interpreted as he saying he is dark. And what this really um, establishes is that, you know, he wasn't basically what you would think of as a pale-skinned Arab or a pale-skinned Jew coming over to convert this Asiatic woman to to one of the Abrahamic religions. That's that's not really what he's saying. Basically, what he's saying is he he's saying that he himself is dark, similar to the way that the Ethiopians were also a dark people. Um, I think he's making that particular reference within the Song of Solomon because if you look at Egyptian and you look at um, early Middle Eastern religions, you can see that there's times and periods when certain tribes try to assimilate themselves by looking like the paler northern tribes. You can see that even in our modern culture today, like having straight hair, trying to show Caucasoid features, you know, dyeing your hair blonde and so on and so forth. And this is because this shows, this is really a sign of submission. Now, I'm not going to get into that. But basically, I feel like he's stating that I am dark, you know, basically saying that he's not one of these northern tribes, nor does he look for only northern tribes in which, in my science, my understanding, were predominantly slave tribes. He's saying, I'm not trying to enslave you. I want you to come to this faith, to this understanding, this science of Islam, this science of submission, on your, on your own understanding, coming to this wisdom. The language of the birds, if you will. I want you to speak the language of the birds within your own integrity, but so that you can become a part of a greater nation, a greater collective Um so, when you read within Amanel, and I'm going to, once again, 27, I'm going to start um, at, I at 18. 
At length, when they came to a lowly valley of ants, one of the ants said, O ye ants, get into your habitation, lest Solomon and his hosts crush you underfoot, without knowing it. So he smiled, amused at her speech, and he said, O my lord, so order me that I may be grateful for thy favors, which thou hast bestowed on me, O my fathers, that I may work righteousness, that I will please thee, and admit me by thy grace to thy ranks, to thy righteous servants. And he took a muster of the birds, and he said, Why is it I see not the Hopi? Or among the absentees, I will certainly punish him with severe penalty or execute him unless he bring clear reasons for absence. But the hope he tarried not far. He came up and said, I have composed territory which thou hast not composed, and I have come to I have come to thee from Saba with tidings true. I have found there a woman ruling over them and provided with every requisite, and she has a magnificent throne. I have found her people worshipping the sun besides La. Satan has made their deeds seem pleasing in their eyes, and he has kept them away from the path so they receive no guidance kept them away from the path that they should not worship Allah who brings light within hidden heavens and the earth and knows that ye hide what ye and what ye reveal okay so it's getting to the top so I'm basically going to wrap it up with this there's very important symbolism right there first off when you talk about the ant notice that he referred to the ant as a she See, if you actually go into my Facebook lives, my Facebook videos, I talk about this. And the ant is really a representative of the fact that when symbiotes become the most important thing to a specific genus or species, the male typically dies off. You can see this in multiple aspects in nature, but the Bible says consider the ant. Because her entire colony is a queen, a matriarchy made up of mostly females. This shows the future of all symbiotic relationships. So when the ant is saying, oh, hide, at least you be crushed underfoot. This is also a symbol. Because this speaks to our ant or our hive psychology within humanity. Man has begun to think like these insects because symbiotes have become the most important things in our lives because we interact in such large collectives. The male becomes less and less relevant. So, what he's saying is we hide our spirituality. We hide our spirituality. And this is also speaking to the, 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 the fact that most when you talk about animistic religion, the science behind that animistic religion is encoded or encrypted. You feel what I'm saying? And this is a way we preserve our sovereignty. This is the male aspect of us, which is dying out. You know what I'm saying? We hide our female aspect, but we show our male aspect. He's talking about the specific method of the way we encrypt spirituality. Now, when you talk about the Hopi, the Hopi is an Asiatic bird. And it's the Egyptian symbol of a sovereign prince. This is why he was saying, oh, the, so the, the Hopi is not here. He's basically saying the sovereign prince is, is, is absent. 
he's speaking about the tributaries. He's basically saying that if he finds the Hopi, if he finds the sovereign prince of a specific territory, and he's not cooperating, he will receive a severe penalty. And basically what he's saying is, is that the sovereign prince becomes a very important symbol within this within this particular sword because once again it represents the masculinity that sometimes we show but we don't express going in as far as Queen Sheba or Saba he's talking about a new territory and basically what he's saying is the Hopi the crown prince will give ways to new territories within their emperor, their kingdom. Now, it's not speaking necessarily of an emperor that we know of today who's being ruled over. This, once again, is coming from the concept of tribal integrity. So if we understand that tribal integrity is the essence of Islam, we understand that both our male and our female aspects are respected. We must be firm in our integrity. But we also must be willing to love. Don't share all your secrets. But make sure that you're honest within your attitude. But don't necessarily let disclosure be confused for honesty. We go back to the concept of taqwa. Now most people would say, oh, this gives you the right to lie to unbelievers. No, it only gives you the right to conceal your spirituality. This is the science of Islam. Notice how he said, oh, they are purposefully leading him astray. See, this is the understanding that the highest of people will always be the most righteous. So if you lead the people astray, you know that you will always rule them. Think about the materialist and evil and sinister culture that we have here in the United States. And truly, the wise man will eat the bounty of the fool. We understand this. Science, Islam is the science of sovereignty. It is the science of nation building. Because by building the temple of perfected man, we by in no way and in every way build a perfected nation. And this is why this is a staple of more science. A journey into self is a journey into your nation. A journey into the individual is a journey into the collective. This is the Wad and Mujahd within Sufism. Singularity inside multiplicity, and multiplicity inside singularity. The great cycle ages. With that, brothers and sisters, I appreciate you listening. Islam.